Hello, listeners, and welcome to the first episode of the, I believe I titled this the American Future Podcast, which might be a little misleading since this is a literary project and not a political analysis, but eh, what you gonna do? It's not like this is gonna get many views anyway, or listens, or however Spotify calculates this kind of thing. Either way, today we're talking about the first half of Ceremony by Leslie Marmon Silco. This is a novel that explores the American experience, specifically from the perspective of the Laguna Pueblo people. Today we're talking specifically about the first half, although I'm uncertain. Or rather, unfortunately, I've already read the whole book because I was a little ahead. So I suppose I'll have to put myself back in the mindset that I was in when I was only halfway through, which was not a good one. So let's get my personal thoughts out of the way. I did not enjoy this book. I apologize to those who did. I, I, I get I get it. I loved the themes and the writing style. The themes of reality and perception clashing the themes of tradition versus modernity, the themes of maintaining your cultural identity while surviving in a a modern, changing world, the themes of a person who's culturally and biologically split between his native, the native American people and the white Europeans... It was great. All of that was great. The writing style bounced between prose and poem. It bounced around in time, so it was not a very chronological story. And um, it ultimately made the reading experience quite interesting. It very intentionally reflected, from what I understand, Navajo storytelling uh uh, style, the style, the Navajo storytelling style. The characters, on the other hand, I was not entranced by. I don't, didn't really care for any of them. I believe around one thirteen, about halfway through the book, I would have been introduced to two characters I really liked. And both of them I really liked because of their perspectives on things. Their perspectives on where things were going. And so I think those characters are going to be the main focus. Because at this point in the novel, our main character, Teo, or Tayo, I don't know, is not... He's still in a developmental phase. We'll talk a little more about him in the second half. But he's still trying to figure things out. He's caught up in all his PTSD and his uh, rage towards white people for taking their land and throwing him into a war that he had no business in and got his brother killed. It's a very understandable anger. But he needs to get some stuff figured out. We'll get to him later. For now, we're going to talk about two characters. First is the unnamed woman called the Night Swan. And second is Batoni. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm probably not. Simply due to my own personal uh, inclinations, this podcast will probably end up being quite character-focused. Oh, I never finished my 
um, personal thoughts. Also, I just found the story progression boring. Nothing's happened. Nothing has happened. I'm halfway through this book. I was halfway through this book. And I felt like I was still an act one of a four-part story. It was all set up. But whatever. I'm done. I'm done. Let's talk about the Night Swan. So, the Night Swan is a woman who many would consider the lowest in society. She's a... She's a, she's an exotic dancer, that much I know. I'm not certain whether she's a prostitute, but regardless, she's someone who's generally outcast by everyone. And Teo understands this to some extent. He's rejected by everyone, too. White people don't like him because he's part Native American. His own people don't like him because... He's the half-breed between them and the white people that they would very much like to stay separate from. The Night Swan, she sees this, she sees this same problem in Teo right away. She comments that he's, she's been watching him for quite a while and that she's noticed the color of his eyes, which he points out he was teased for in the past. She comments that the people who teased him are afraid Quote, they feel something happening. They can see something happening around them, and it scares them. Indians or Mexicans or whites, most people are afraid of change. They think that if their children have the same color of skin, the same color of eyes, that nothing is changing. They are fools. They blame us, the ones who look different. That way they don't have to think about what has happened inside themselves. So much of this novel focuses on the relationship between the Native American people and the white people. Some of the Laguna people have the perspective of absolute fury. People like Emo are always trying to get back at the white people, trying to take what they can. The general Navajo people are simply trying to maintain their way of life, survive without their traditions being trampled over. Teo doesn't know what he wants. Well, the Night Swan recognizes that the situation they're in is more complicated than them just being the victims. She recognizes that there's this hate brewing that is being maintained not just by the white people, but the Laguna as well. And it, as she said, it's changing them. It's making them into something horrible. Something negative. What the Night Swan doesn't have is a vision for the future. She recognizes that things are changing, but she doesn't really consider it her place to step in and tell people this, or tell people what they ought to be doing. She's perfectly content to sit in her attic in retirement and be an observer of such things. She observes and recognizes that People are fools for thinking they can resist change or resist the way things are going and continue on as they always have been. And interestingly, this is a very similar perspective to that of Batoni. Again, I feel like I'm saying his name wrong. The um, unusual medicine man who mixes modern things in with his traditional medicine. He has one of the most interesting perspectives of anybody in this novel. We'll take a look at a few quotes from him in a moment. As I said, we're looking at visions for the future. 
and Batoni talks about this. He says that the people nowadays have an idea about the ceremonies. They think the ceremonies must be performed exactly as they always have been done. Maybe because one slip-up or mistake, and the whole ceremony must be stopped and the sand painting destroyed. That much is true. And a bit later, he says, But long ago, when the people were given these ceremonies, the changing began. If only in the aging of the yellow gourd rattle, or the shrinking of the skin around the eagle's claw. If only in the different voices from generation to generation, singing the chants. You see, in many ways, the ceremonies have always been changing. At one time, the ceremonies as they had been performed were enough for the way the world was then. But after the white people came, elements in this world began to shift, and it became necessary to create new ceremonies. I have made changes in the rituals. The people mistrust this greatly, but only this growth keeps the ceremonies strong. Things which don't shift and grow are dead things. Batoni is a man who lives away from society. The only person he sees on the daily is a quiet helper of his, a young boy. And he recognizes that if things do not grow and change, they are dead. And he recognizes, same as the night swan, that things are changing. The world is changing around the Native American people. And they can now, for the first time in their long history, try and resist change, try and remain as they always have been, always in big air quotes, or they can adjust. The fact of the matter is, the Europeans have come to their land, taken their land, and are trying to change their customs. They don't have the strength to throw them away. It's not going to happen. Change is inevitable, but Tony recognizes this, and he knows that the Laguna people won't stop being the Laguna people, simply because their customs change, simply because their customs change as they always have. It's just that the reason for the change is a little different now than it has been in the past. Batoni doesn't see the old customs as entirely incompatible with new changes, just as the Night Swan doesn't see any way the Laguna people can remain entirely separate from the white people. Batoni states that nothing is that simple. You don't write off all the white people, just like you don't trust all the Indians. He later on tells a story about the origin of white people, where he says that they were the creation of some incredibly powerful witch who wanted to create a race of people that would fear nature and destroy it and fear what they didn't know and destroy it and destroy each other, and all they did was cause destruction. And it's a pretty grim story at first, especially for uh, me, a white person. It seems like it's just a another story to create an even greater divide between the Native Americans and the white settlers. But behind the story, the message that Batoni is trying to emphasize is more complicated than that. Because he says that just because that's the nature of the white European settlers, that isn't all they can be. He says that he he, he points out that this divide between Native Americans and white people is bad. <laughs> for lack of a better term. He says that the white people are manipulated 
by this dark evil witchery but that doesn't make things that doesn't make them evil is what i'm trying to say they're manipulated by the evil but they are not evil and one thing you have to understand while reading ceremony is that the truth of these myths and these traditions isn't important what's important is what they mean for the way the Laguna people perceive the world. It doesn't matter if some witch thousands and thousands of years ago created white people to be the ruination of humankind. What matters is what that says about their nature and what that says about how the Laguna people ought to see them, treat them, and what their aim should be. We won't reach a proper conclusion on this book in this episode, but we can get a few general takeaways and things to keep in mind going forward. Both the Night Swan and Batoni recognize the need for change. Or even if there isn't a need for change, the inevitability of it. The Laguna people cannot survive without adapting. Because if they aren't adapting, then, as Batoni put it, they are essentially dead. If they aren't changing, if they aren't growing, then that may as well be the end of their people. The Laguna people have this concept that individual stories are all part of one big story, the story of their people in general, and that any given story is only worthwhile in the context of all the stories. And I think Batoni is touching on this idea when he talks about things that don't grow, that don't change, are dead. If they stop growing and changing, their story ends here. And by their culture, stories aren't supposed to end. That's a white person thing, according to them. Their stories have a start and end. Laguna stories continue going and going around and repeating and changing all part of one big complex cycle. Next time, we'll talk a little more about Teo, about the changes he goes through and his character arc and the conclusions he reaches. We'll see what things mean for the American future for him. For now, thank you for listening, and I hope you have a good day.